And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to Risk Off Thursday. That's the way we're starting off uh, this Thursday's edition of the show. Uh, this morning, futures are pointing lower. The Dow is going to be down about 1.5%. The Open down about 460 points. S&P is going to be down as well, along with the NASDAQ. A um, lot of red this morning, uh, in particular, as the 10-year Treasury yield is going to open up somewhere around 1.26%. So the reason that's important is that actually starts to put you very close to the 200-day moving average. So again, a very sharp decline here in yields just as of late. I've got an article coming out tomorrow, our macro view for Friday, talking about what's going on with yields and the warning sign that they're sending. Um, you know, this is clearly a flight to safety at this point. There's a kind of a narrative in the markets between equities and bonds, equities being risk on, bonds being risk off. And there has definitely been a move to safety here as of late in the 10-year Treasury, 30 years as well. And we're seeing those rates drop fairly sharply. So a couple of things are happening here that are important and worth watching. We touched on this a little bit yesterday. But it's being reflected in the markets this morning. Now, this morning, Michael Leibowitz is going to join me. We're going to talk a little bit about the Fed minutes yesterday. We're also going to touch on what's going on with repo. We, we talked a little bit about this last week, but we're getting a lot of questions about what is going on in the repo market, right? There's just this you know, trillion dollars of activity that's happening in the repo market. That's surely got to mean something, right? So. We'll discuss that a little bit this morning with Michael Leibowitz, but pay attention to what's happening with yields here. This is not a point of inconsequence because when yields are dropping this fast, it typically tells you there's something else going on in the markets. There's something happening. We've had a tremendous amount of complacency in the markets as of late. In fact, if we kind of, you know, have, as we've been talking about here over the last couple of weeks, you know, the, the S&P's just been kind of climbing this little wall here. There's not a lot of upside in the markets, but again, we've just had this little positive bias. We've been on a buy signal that's all worked out very well. We're very close now, and as we talked about yesterday, very close to the point to where we're likely gonna see that signal reverse and likely get some selling pressure in the market. Is today the beginning of that selling pressure? Maybe, maybe not. It's a, it's a tad early here. Normally, the first couple of weeks of July tend to be positive. But again, there are some concerns. Again, going back to talking about what's happening with the 10-year Treasury rate, in particular, and yields, there is something definitely brewing underneath the surface of the markets. And, and again, that's what yields are telling you. This is, you know, yields don't move in this fashion uh, just because. And, you know, with economic growth supposedly growing very strongly, with inflationary pressures, of course, being more persistent than what uh, the Fed believes, this is kind of some of the general thoughts of the, of the, of the markets, then 10-year Treasury rates should be going up fairly sharply. If you're talking about having 4 to 5% real economic growth in the economy this year, 
interest rates should be pushing somewhere between three and three and a half percent right now in the 10-year treasury they're not they're at 1.26 percent this morning which tells you that real economic growth what's actually happening in the economy is really much weaker than what headlines suggest because there is a very long historical correlation between yields and economic growth and inflation they all kind of wages also wage growth also kind of all ties together because that's where the economy comes from so again we've got an article coming out tomorrow about this I go through the entire analysis why yields are important what yields tell you why yields are a better indicator and 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 going back historically speaking yields are a great indicator about both the market as well as the economy so this is something definitely worth paying attention to here this sharp drop in yields over the last couple of days uh, is certainly cons consistent with a warning sign that we should be paying attention to now let me be clear. Does that mean go sell everything and go to cash? No, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, is that the markets have had a very good run here. We've had a very strong advance the first part of this year. The markets are very elevated at this point from long-term means. Again, just this kind of this consistent rise in the markets. We've had a very nice rally here over the last couple of weeks. Markets are extended and very overbought again. So having a bit of a correction here, not surprising. Right, that wouldn't be a surprise to have a bit of correction here. Also, as we talked about yesterday, we haven't had a 5% correction since August of last year. That's a very long stretch in any market cycle without a 5% correction. 5% corrections are normal for just about any point in any year. So again, that's very normal. And the fact that we haven't had one is a bit abnormal because again that just kind of shows the level of complacency that we've had in the market so again there's just some warning signs here that says we might want to be a little bit more cautious with our our risky investments a couple of things have been happening in the markets as of late as well just another kind of a warning sign to be thinking about here because the breadth of the market has not been that great even though the markets rallied over the last, really last week or so in particular, and after we broke out to new highs, that was good, great, we broke out to new highs, but the breadth of that rally was very narrow, pretty much led by mostly just your FANG stocks here as of late, and that's really been pretty much the story as the NASDAQ has pretty much been outperforming the rest of the market. But again, this rise in the NASDAQ is, is great, but it's very narrow. It was just really kind of the top five to 10 stocks really driving a big bulk of this. And notice that with the NASDAQ, we're very close to now triggering that money flow sell signal again for the NASDAQ. So again, we've just got a lot of things kind of lining up here that suggest this kind of period of exuberance that we've had here over the last few weeks in particular has been good, but volume has not been great. Breadth has not been great. It's not been a real, what we call a healthy rally. And that really kind of sets markets up for a bit of correction. Now, what would cause it again is a change in sentiment, a change in attitude, psychology. That's what drives that. Again, is, is that potentially what's happening here? And is that what yields are telling us? Because as we discussed, and, and, and as I'll talk about with Michael Leibowitz here in just a few minutes, the FOMC out minutes out yesterday, there is a bias towards tapering. Now, they're not in a rush, but again, what markets are well aware of now after 12 years of monetary stimulus is that when the Fed begins to either flatline their balance sheet or contract their balance sheet, 
that typically doesn't bode well for stock prices. And, and again, is that why maybe investors are starting to f kind of flow back into treasury yield, uh, treasuries, in particular driving yields lower? There was a very large short position on, on treasuries outstanding. That's getting covered here. That's part of what's fueling this drop in rates. But again, these drops in rates don't really occur just in a vacuum. They just don't happen because there's generally a concern that something else is happening in the markets, and that's what's driving this kind of move to safety. So again, I want to be really clear. Let me restate what I said. This, this, this isn't a moment to go panic and sell everything, but it is a point to where you at least want to pay attention to the risk. Look, when you're driving a car down the freeway and the light turns yellow, right, <laughs> you have two choices. You can slow down or you can step on the gas and run, run the yellow light. You know, you may, you may get away with it a few times, but eventually running that yellow light may lead to an accident. And again, it's kind of the same way with the markets. You're getting a warning sign. You can certainly keep your foot on the gas and you may be okay, right? I mean, it doesn't mean that something's actually gonna happen. This is just a warning to pay attention that, hey, you might wanna slow down a little bit and at least look to see if there's oncoming traffic before you run that red light. So we'll be right back after the break. We'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz and we'll talk a little bit about the FOMC minutes yesterday, talk a little bit about repo today, and really just talk about the markets and where we are right now in this cycle. So again, stick around. More of the Real Investment Show coming up after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestment.com investmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care july 8th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show baby shark baby shark baby shark baby shark mommy shark mommy shark and welcome back to the show this morning i'm real science roberts michael leibowitz of course cfa our resident Fed expert joining this morning. So a few things to go into this morning, of course. I've uh, got to get into the FOMC minutes yesterday. Um, also, we'll talk. We will touch on, like I said, uh, a bit of what's going on with Fed repo. We discussed this. Mike and I touched on this last week um, when he was here last Thursday. But we're just getting a lot of a lot of emails and a lot of questions right now about uh, what's going on with repo because it's really just you know when you're doing a trillion dollars of repo you almost have to think that something's not quite right in the system. I mean, it, it, it seems odd, but we'll, we'll get into this. And, and does it mean anything? Is it different than last time? We'll get into that. But before I get there, Mike will appreciate this because he's got kids, you know, going into college and I've got kids that are, you know, going to college and I've got one living in Germany that's in town right now visiting. But, um, you know, there is, we talk about millennials a lot on the show and, and, you know, they're kind of, coming into adulthood and starting to raise families and buy houses and, and and not just millennials but gen z's as well they're starting to go out to society and so great video out this morning young lady she's talking about the fact that she's not having any fun 
as an adult, right? She she works and she mm. pays bills and every time she pays bills another bill shows up and she's just having to work for that and 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 when she works for that she's just got another bill that comes right behind it and she doesn't have any money left over and all she's doing is working and adulting is just not fun and she just went to the eye doctor to get contacts she had her $20 copay and it was like $100 extra for the contacts she said keep the contacts i've seen enough <laughs> Welcome to the real world. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's, it's, it is kind of funny, though. I mean, it's like, yeah, life isn't all that fun, right? I mean, really, when you get into it, it's a lot of work and a lot of bill paying. And I don't even go to the mailbox anymore. I just I just leave that to my wife. She goes to the mailbox. Nothing. There's no good news in the mailbox. It's either bills or junk mail, right? Nobody right. sends you a card anymore to say, hey, how you doing, right? Or a letter. Nobody writes a letter anymore. You get emails. Um, birthday cards. Yeah. That's the old day. I'll yeah. go to the mail. I don't even my- get birthday cards. I get email. I get email birthday cards from people. That's how my my family is so lazy. They don't even buy birthday cards anymore. So. I guess I should be thankful. <laughs> anyway, uh, life revolves as we get going. Um, yes. So, hi, Mike. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Well, uh, FOMC minutes out yesterday. Now, so this is a, a little bit different. Um, when the Fed has their their meeting, right? Then they have their public announcement after their meeting, and then a couple of weeks later, we actually get the inside peek at their minutes. But these really aren't their minutes, right? No, this whole it's a charade, right? The and we know it's a charade, and they've told us as much. These are minutes, and a, a, a lot of it is minutes, but they're doctored to reflect what they think of things today, not three weeks ago when they actually had the meeting. Right. So there's a lot of uh, participants surveyed said this, or participants, many, many participants said this, a few participants said that. You know, so what we, you know, and, and knowing it's a game, Knowing that they're that this is how they work, this is their idea of communication. It's fine. We know it. It, it is what it is. They're clearly on track. They're setting the market up for tapering QE, right? And a step further, and we talked about this that the Fed could start tapering mortgages even as uh, you know a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That's seeming more and more evident based on a lot of the comments that. The, the rising real estate market is creating financial instability. Right. Right. So so I, I think that's something they're basically telling us what they're saying. If they could just speak English, they would say we we will be tapering. And apparently the his video feed has been tapered at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> so I guess the Fed. The Fed didn't like what I was saying. Exactly. So I don't know where I got cut off, but basically the Fed is telling you that they're going to taper mortgages. What they're not telling you is, are they going to? So if they buy 10 billion less, will they buy 10 billion more of Treasuries? Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, I would have said yes, but given you know what you talked about in the first segment and what's going on, that Treasury yields are plummeting. I'm not 100% sold they'll buy Treasuries either. Um, they don't want to add fuel to that fire. Not that lower rates aren't good. They are, but they, they can fuel more inflation. But I think more importantly, they tell the tale of slower growth of lesser inflation. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So they're all about appearances, and well, they're about markets given appearances. Yeah, as, as, so, so a couple of things that are kind of going on below the surface. Again, I was talking about the sharp drop in yields in the 10-year Treasury. I mean, we, we, we were at 1.5% just... You know, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, now we're at 1.26% this morning. So it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're dropping a quarter point in rates on something that's less than 2% to start with, I mean, it, it doesn't really bode well, again, when you're talking about an economy supposedly growing at 4% on an inflation-adjusted basis this year. Yeah. You know, that's twice the, the rate of growth we've had in the economy over the last decade. So, I mean, right. this drop in rates is not inconsequential, but also the, the spread and because and you were talking about mortgage-backed securities and that the Fed may start tapering their purchases there. Interestingly enough, uh, just over the cu last couple of weeks in particular, the spread on MBSs has now been rising. Right. So is the, is the, is the mortgage-backed security market, MBS, is that starting to predict exactly what you're talking about? Is the spread widening because they're expecting the Fed to stop basically supporting that market? Well, you know, it, it means there's going to be more supply available to the market. If mm -hmm. the Fed's only buying 20 versus 40, it means the, the secondary market has to absorb an additional 20 every month. Now, the flip side to that is that mortgage applications, uh, the MBA puts out their mortgage application mm -hmm. index. That's completely erased the whole, it goes back to 2019 and we're at the same levels now. It's actually below, slightly below 2019 levels. So from a mortgage applications, and that's, you know, obviously you fill out a mortgage application before you buy a house, but before you take on a mortgage to buy a house, yep. that is all the way back to 2019 levels. So we've seen surveys that say now is the worst time ever to buy a house, right? We've seen those charts where it just goes off the charts. Right. So consumers know that house prices are expensive. There's no inventory. So I think we're at a point where there just aren't a lot of mortgages being produced. I know the real estate market's on fire, but it's a relatively small sample of house sales. Yeah. This isn't what I would call a robust market with a lot of a lot of houses on the market, a lot of houses being bought like 2007. This is a different kind of market, but the unaffordability um, is even more so today than it was in 2006-7. Yeah, no, it's, it's just interesting when you talk about it, the housing numbers in particular. And this is, you know, again, when we report housing numbers, you've got to be really careful about, you know, headline numbers. And because when they report them, let's say that we sell a house this month, right? Just one, right? And that's not far from reality. That's not far from reality. <laughs> so we sell one house this month. Well, we Well, when we report it, we report it on an annualized basis. So we sold 12 houses this month. Next month, we sell two houses. So now we report that on an annualized basis. So now we sold, you know, 240 houses this month. And so that's the way these housing numbers are reported. They're reported on this annualized basis, which really kind of overstate the activity of what's happening. And to your point, you know, when you're talking about the real estate market, we're talking about really just what happens on the very fringes of the real estate market. And it's just those people willing to buy or sell a house. And it's really not that many relative to the total home ownership that's out there. I mean, I'm not selling my house. My house is not on the markets. I'm not affecting a change in house price dynamics at all. I have no impact right. on it. It's just simply those few on the outside fringes. And most of that house price appreciation is occurring where? California, 
A little bit in Texas, not as much. Um, up in the Northeast, you're getting where you live. Obviously, you're getting a lot of big house price increases. But right. really kind of in the Midwest area, and that, there's not a lot of house price increases going on because the activity, that surge that's creating this you know, housing price inflation is really in a very few small select areas. Right. And remember, we had the what Peter Atwater called the K-shaped recovery. Right. So there were some sectors of the economy that did well, some sec- some people that did well, and those were mainly wealthy people that did well. So who has the money? It's those that are buying the bigger houses. So, you know, if we have 12 houses that sold and normally there were six expensive houses and six cheap houses, well, now maybe that is eight expensive houses and two cheap houses. So it skews the pricing. It makes pricing look like it's going up higher. I'm not saying that there's not house price inflation. There There is, is, and it's it's a big deal. But, you know, you've said it a few times, Lance, if supply were to come out to market, which inevitably will happen, right? Right. Everyone has a price. (laughs) And there's also a lot of baby boomers that still own houses that are ready to to, to, uh, size down. The the price will come back down very quickly. Yeah, and, and really, and there's two things that are going to implement that as well too. One of it's psychology, right? You know, right now there's a lot of people going, "Man, my you know my house is you know worth a lot more than it was last month." You know, it's going to just keep going up, and we get kind of complacent. Well, I'll, maybe you know, maybe I'll sell next year. Um, you know, and then we'll go ahead and downsize and do whatever we're going to do because everybody kind of expects this house price appreciation just to continue because that's what we're being told by the media. What will happen? is that when house prices stop going up and they start going down, all of a sudden there's all these people that were kind of thinking about selling. Now they'll sell. Here, good example of this. About two months ago, my wife said she will never sell our house. We were having a conversation yesterday. She says, if you can get this price for the house, I'll sell it. And I go, I just got an offer for that about two weeks ago on our house. And she's like, okay, well, let me think about it. So, <laughs> but there is a, to your point, Mike, everybody has a price. And if that price starts to slip, we could see a very large supply of houses hit the market all at one time, causing a really sharp decline in prices. And that's exactly what happened in 2006, 2007. Right. So we'll be right back after the break. Pick up with Michael Leibowitz. We'll talk a little bit about repo when we come back. What's going on with repo? Is it an important deal? And is it actually telling us something that we need to know about you know the system what's happening right so be right back after the break futures down pretty sharply this morning along with yields Uh, that's what we're talking about this morning and we'll also get your questions at the end of the show as well so go to our youtube channel put your questions in and mike and i'll answer those in the last segment be right back after the break You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, 6.33. Michael Lee was showing me this morning. 
Uh, got a comment talking about the Midwest house prices. Yes, Midwest house prices are going up. Uh, they're just not going up as much as they are in California. <laughs> so uh, if you take a look at median and average home prices uh, around the country, they are actually only slightly higher now than they were about two years ago. So yes, house prices are going up everywhere. No doubt about it. Um, they're just not going up as fast as where they are like out in you know, California, Seattle, Washington others uh anyway uh great point thank you uh so just before the break we were talking a little bit about the fed minutes and look tapers coming the question is is when and how do they implement it and how aggressive do they get about it and and likely what we're seeing is a setup here for the kind of the announcement so to speak of what are they going to do probably around jackson hole that'll come around august uh, kind of late August around uh, Mike's wife's birthday. So um, nice memory. Exactly. So that's really where I think we're going to see a lot of this. Now, the market's going to start to sniff this out uh, before we get there. And that's why, as I was talking about earlier in the show, one thing this yield drop is telling us that's a flight to safety. And that is really markets positioning themselves for more of a risk-off trade. And again, doesn't necessarily mean the markets are just going to crash around your ankles today. But look, we've been we've had a very long advance here without a five percent correction. We're now well deviated above the fifty-day moving average. We've got all the ingredients set up here for just a very normal five percent correction. Now, the problem with the five percent correction is going to feel a hell of a lot worse than it really is. I mean, five percent corrections are normal in any given market. It's going to feel worse than a five percent correction because we haven't had one since last year, and everybody kind of forgets about it. Everybody's forgotten about the thirty-five percent decline we had, you know, March of last year. So, you know, much less a five percent correction. That's just how quickly complacency has come back to this market. So again, it's just something to be paying attention to. Now, repo is something that's going on here. You know, after the uh, the economic shutdown, we instituted the CARES Act, and we did the HEROES Act, and then we did uh, Biden's plan. I forget the name of his act now, American Rescue Plan. Um, that has put $5 trillion of liquidity into the market. Now, how does liquidity get to the market? Treasury has to, we don't have any tax revenue because once we collect tax revenue, that all goes to social welfare and interest on the debt. So that requires a hundred, actually more than a hundred cents of dollar of tax revenue just to cover mandatory spending. So anything else you want to do has to come from debt. So in order to get that done, you've got to go to the Treasury. The Treasury issues five trillion in debt, and they've got cat. They sell that debt, and now they've got cash on their books. And so the Treasury's been sitting on record levels of cash. And now we're starting to drain that off. And part of this repo issue is the draining of those cash reserves, right? All that cash that was sitting on the Treasury balance sheet is getting drained. It's either gone out through PPP programs and those type of things. And now, for instance, the infrastructure bill, as they're trying to get passed, is actually going to use a big chunk of that cash as well. That was cash that was issued for other purposes. That's now going to get repurposed for part of the infrastructure package. But the Treasury is draining that cash, and that is part of what's fueling this repo. So having laid that premise, Mike, tell us what's going on with the repo here. We've got a trillion dollars of repo. Is this, is this different than what we saw in 2019 when banks were scrambling for collateral? It's actually the, the opposite. So what was going on then was that that people needed money. Investors needed money. 
right? And they were borrowing via the repo programs at six, seven, eight percent. We were hearing stories of people, of hedge funds, of investors borrowing via the repo markets at, you know, at nearly double digit rates. Today, we have the opposite. There, like Lance said, there's so much cash sitting out there trying to find a home. And the problem is because the Treasury is letting its balances run down, it's not issuing that many Treasury bills for all that cash to buy. So all this cash in a money market is chasing not a lot of securities. Rates went down to zero and even below zero. The Fed doesn't want negative rates because it's not it's detrimental to the money market fund industry and it's detrimental to banks. Right. So they're trying to protect the lower bound of their Fed funds target. So what they're doing is basically subsidizing the money market industry, the banking industry and just savers who are sitting on cash. And by savers, we're, we're predominantly talking about big corporations, investment companies, not you and me. Right. We're not getting we're not even getting five basis points on our savings. <laughs> right. Um, so what they said is we're going to change the re the reverse repurchase program so that the minimum the floor is now five basis points for zero. So everyone with cash is saying, great, I can get five basis points for my money with the best counterparty in the world, the most risk free counterparty in the world, the Federal Reserve. I'll do that all day. And that's what they're doing. They're doing it all day. Mm -hmm. And they hit a trillion a few days ago at quarter end. And uh, Zoltan Polzar, who is now the the icon of the investment world for he's, he he's, used to work at he's the repo, Fed. He's uh, Zoltan is now repo man, right? He is <laughs> repo god, uh, repo Zeus. Uh, he he worked at the Fed. He now works for Credit Suisse, and he writes commentary. And he has been spot on. And he thinks that those repo balances could reach one and a half or two trillion. What that's pointing to is a massive amount of cash sitting on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not cash that's going to the equity market. It's not even cash that's really going to go to the bond market other than kind of money market, treasury bill type securities. It's cash that in theory could be lent out, which would generate huge economic activity. But there are many reasons for it not to be lent out. This is just another consequence of what the Fed is doing. Right. They're creating these massive irregular cash balances and it's just when we talk about these Fed traps, it's just another thing, another distortion. The Fed just creates distortions through their activities when they do way more than they needed to do. Mm -hmm. And this is another distortion. There, there are so many distortions out there. I should write an article on it. I probably have. <laughs> I guess we have. But, you know, junk bonds, Lance, junk bonds. Right. Double B and a single B junk bonds trade below the rate of inflation. So if you buy a junk bond right now, the best you can do, assuming there's no default, which is almost impossible, mm -hmm. is assuming you buy a pool of, of junk bonds, not right. just one junk bond. Right. But if you buy a pool of junk bonds, the best you can do is lose money versus inflation. That's your upside. Yeah. Your downside is you actually have a default, which is going to happen. Well, and this and this is something I'm actually writing about tomorrow. And this is such a key critical point to understand about the bond market and, and the distortion that's being caused there. You know, when I, when I invest in an equity, right, I buy a stock, I am betting on that earnings growth and their business model and what they do is going to create growth for the company that will outpace the rate of inflation and my equity prices should rise accordingly. When I buy a bond, 
or when and, and as a bond buyer, that means I'm lending money to somebody else. So so Mike issues a bond and I'm gonna loan money to Mike. All I get for that bond is my interest rate. That's it, right? So Mike pays me interest, he pays me on principal back at maturity, hopefully. He's not my cousin Vinny. Um <laughs> And if I, I feel like it. Exactly. And so I get my money back then and my interest rate now. So as a bond issuer, or uh, sorry, as a bond buyer, that interest rate has to account for opportunity costs, where I money could have invested that money elsewhere, inflation, interest rate risk, credit risk. What if he doesn't pay me back? Um, all those risks, there's just a tremendous amount of risks that all have to be factored into that interest rate. And this is really the key thing to understand about bonds and what the distortion is being caused in the bond market right now, because investors, people buying bonds and people, me loaning my money, we're not getting paid for that risk. I'm not getting paid for the credit risk, the yield risk, the, the interest rate risk, the inflation. I'm not getting paid for any of that because I'm so driven at this point because of what the Fed has done by distorting the market to get any yield above zero. And that's, and what, that's, a, that's a huge risk down the road somewhere. Right, right. And what's funny is you equated that to work, and that's right. You're actually not getting paid. You're getting docked to work, yeah. to put your money to work. But if I said, Lance, why don't you come over and cut my lawn, and why don't you give me five bucks while you're at it, you would laugh at me. Right. But you do it, but you do, but investors are doing the same thing in a bond market every day. single day. Yep. Now, now there's reason for it, right? For instance, we bought a long bond ETF, TLT, into our portfolio six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And yes, we're only getting paid well below the rate of inflation on the coupon, the dividend yield coupon. But we're up, I don't know what, we're up six, seven, eight percent on it because the price has come down. The price has risen decently as yields have come down. So there is another component to it that that incentivizes. But as yields go to zero, that upside in price becomes less and less. Right. Well, again, two different markets, right? And this is something we do touch on in the article as well, just to be clear, is that there's there's a difference in buying a bond for an investment purpose versus being the lender of money, right? Two different things. Um, But, you know, going back to to the repo, the problem is, is, and, and as you're talking about here, is that there's all this cash on the sidelines. That's not, and again, great point here. There is no such thing as cash on the sidelines when it comes to the equity market. Every buyer, there has to be a seller. So that's that's a myth, right? But what Mike's talking about is, if you've read, read articles lately, there's $3.2 trillion of cash on the sidelines. That's just waiting to come into the markets. No, it's not. The vast majority of that money is held by corporations, institutions, pensions, you know, those type of things. And they just aren't, they're hoarding it. They're not doing it because there's no economic reason to put that capital to work. Banks aren't loaning money. Bank loans have dropped sharply. It's quick, Mike. No, just as one quick example, money market funds cannot buy stocks. And that's where a large chunk of that money is coming from. Exactly. Be right back after the break. We'll answer your questions and wrap up the show. Don't go away. You're listening. 
listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual Lunch and Learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual Lunch and Learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show, of course. It is that time where we get to your uh, questions that you can ask us, of course. Uh, Go to our YouTube channel, get into the chat box. There's always... uh, group of colorful characters in our chat windows. We appreciate you very much. Um, does make my job harder to scroll through all the commentary to find the questions. Though. <laughs> uh, make sure, though, that uh, you there's always the warning inside the chat window says, please abide by community guidelines. That means simply start all your questions with I love green energy and then ask your question. So that will... <laughs> That will ensure <laughs> that that you don't get kicked off. Uh, anyway, just joking. I'm just teasing. Uh, Mike, couple of uh, there are a couple of good questions here. You know, you know, there's no, there's really, you know, the issue at this point is that the Fed, the Treasury doesn't need to issue debt at the moment, right? There's plenty of cash because of all the debt they issued previously. However, um, we are about to run up on the debt ceiling here very quickly, and that's coming in August, September. And of course, this is one of the big concerns. You know, is, you know, the Fed going to have to issue, start issuing a lot more debt again? Because as we said earlier, it now requires more than 100% of tax revenue coming in just to pay the mandatory spending. Now, that's just Social Security, welfare, prescription drug benefits, and interest on the debt. That's all that is. That requires more than 100%. So we're going to have to issue debt just to cover that which means that we're going to have to, you know, increase spending rates and all that, which is we don't do budgets anymore. We just do continuing resolutions now. So, you know, we'll have another continuing resolution that will authorize, you know, five to six trillion in spending over the next year. Um, you know, but that means the Treasury going to get back to work to issuing more debt. So this kind of puts the Fed in a box and really kind of in a way here, because as they're trying to drain the excess cash off the books, the Treasury is about to have to start issuing a bunch more debt just to cover spending. So, you know, where does the Fed potentially get out of this trap? Right, right. They're buying more debt than they're issuing. Right. That's one problem right now. But you, you mentioned a debt cap limit. Yep. You know what? Even you know, under the most contentious the last four years between the two parties, they had very little problem extending and and increasing and doing whatever they needed to do. With the Democratic House, Senate, and President, that's going to be a piece of cake. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised <laughs> we're even talking about it, right? I mean, they had no issue under Trump extending that thing. Uh, so I'm not sure that's the issue. I think the bigger issue is just going to be how much do they do they need to borrow and how much is the Fed going to continue to buy? Well, and this is really coming down to the infrastructure spending bill. Um, they're supposedly supposed to put this infrastructure spending bill on the floor um, on July the 15th, I think. And don't don't be surprised if that gets hung up on the floor. The Democrats want to wait until September when we get back into the new budget cycle, because then they can take this American rescue, this American families plan 
that Biden wants to pass this two trillion in spending. That's a lot of social reforms of, you know, you know, making permanent child tax credits, increasing those limits, family paid medical leave, um, you know, all the all the social justice stuff that we want to spend money on. They're just kind of salivating to wait for that because then they can run that two trillion through reconciliation and they can pass it, it providing right. they can get Joe Manchin on board. That's going to be the he's not really in favor for this. But provided they have Joe Manchin's vote, they could actually run that two trillion dollar bill with just the Democrat votes. Um so again, I, I kind of think this infrastructure bill may get hung up before we get get to the debt ceiling. But that's that's the 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 big thing that's coming, and we may see a whole another big round of of social inputs if they can get that done. Right, right, and we you know kind of longer run, we have to keep in mind that government spending is not productive. Right, it may help. It may we may need it. There are things we they have to spend. We get it, but it's not productive. It actually detracts from future economic growth. So one of the things you should think about here is price to earnings and every other valuation for equities have been rising, rising, rising. Our future economic growth rate is taking another stumble lower because of the pandemic. I know it doesn't seem like it today, but when we look back in a few years, our, our growth rate is going to be lower than it was before the pandemic. So we're, we're not just paying a higher valuation ratio, but we're paying more for less. Um, so when we think about all these spending bills and the massive deficits that are being run up, uh, you know, I think people think, well, that's great for the economy. They're going to spend more money. And yes, it does. It potentially gives it a boost. But in the long run, it hurts us. And what it does is it forces the Fed to be even more active. And when the Fed is active, you create wealth inequality because of the way the Fed operates. So, you know, it's sad to say, but a lot of what the, the, what the Democrats want to do from a social side will actually create some wealth inequality along the way because of the way it has to be funded. It's not funded with taxes. Mm -hmm. It's funded by the Federal Reserve. That's essentially how things work today. Right. And if you're interested in about what Mike's talking about, we actually have an article on our website. If you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, just type the word negative into the search bar at the top. We wrote an article recently. Uh, you'll get about, a lot of articles. Yeah. Well, it's in the title and it's called, you know, why government spending has a negative multiplier. Um, the, the what Mike's discussing is, is that, yes, you may temporarily lift people out of poverty because you give them money. So let's say the poverty level is $20,000 and we give them $30,000. So great, they're out of poverty for one year. And even if we give them $30,000 the next year, the cost of living will come up to absorb that $30,000. So you don't get people out of poverty. And ultimately, because it's debt-fueled spending, right? It's just this is more debt being spent that we have to service that, that, that extracts that growth rate out of the economy. Yes, you pull forward some consumption, you create some inflation, you get a short-term hit to growth, but then it all reverses. And this is what we're seeing right now with you know the stimulus we've already done and politicians aren't learning the lesson but you know there is a very negative impact to non-productive debt and unfortunately we just kind of keep doing the same thing because it feels good and it keeps people in office that's really what this comes down to i think the democrats may find themselves in a really tough spot come the midterm elections next year because again there's a large chunk of even democrat voters that really aren't on board with a lot of these 
kind of social moves being put together by the administration, this idea of moving more towards socialism is it doesn't appeal even to moderate Democrats, as, as, as Joe Manchin uh, really kind of points out. Right. And, I, you know, we've been moving that way for years under sure. both both parties. But it seems like the pandemic has taken us two steps closer. Right. It's not just spending during a pandemic. This just seems to be going on and on. You know, we're talking about more relief bills. What do we need relief bills for? Um, so, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think these mid mid year midterm elections could be are going to be a vote. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a vote. And it's not the fringes of both parties. I think it's the middle, the the, the moderates from both parties that are going to decide this. Right. And it'll be interesting to see how the moderate Democrats, and there's a lot of them, think about this spending. And look, they have an opportunity to change the House or Senate while keeping their president in office so they can retain power, but take away some of the spending power. Mm-hmm. So this will be a really interesting vote in about a year and change. Yep, absolutely. Uh, one more question. And this is a kind of an interesting, uh, interesting question as well is, you know, why is the Fed buying, you know, what's the strategy by the Fed to buy mortgage-backed securities rather than just treasuries? Um, you know, was the intent to try to boost? I mean, the housing market really wasn't in trouble even during the pandemic. Um so really, what was the strategy for buying mortgage-backed securities? Is it just that there's not enough treasuries to buy, so they needed to buy mortgage-backs as well? No. So Powell was an- asked this question a few meetings ago. He had no answer because there is no answer. It's a relic from 2008. When, in 2008, when the Fed started QE, they said, we got to buy mortgages, too, because that market's collapsing and it needs our help. Mm-hmm. So they did. And that was a housing problem, a subprime collapse, right? right? There, there was mortgage issues going on. Fannie, Freddie were on the ropes. Uh, a lot of banks were on the ropes. <laughs> they still so are, by the way. <laughs> they were doing everything they can. And those, by the way, all the banks and Fannie and Freddie own a ton of mortgages. That's who that's who the largest buyer of mortgage-backed securities is. Mm-hmm. So they're directly supporting the banks, essentially, and Fannie, Freddie, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we come along 12 years later, we get another problem. That's just their natural reaction function now. They didn't think about it. There was no thought process, let's buy mortgages. They, there's no reason to buy mortgages. Mortgage rates started very low when this pandemic started. They got, it's ridiculous. There's some people with 2% mortgages. Right. That, that makes no sense. Right. It, it, there, there's, again, you talk about inflation. First of all, infl- the Fed's target for inflation is 2%. Mm. So right off the bat, anyone that buys that mortgage is, is going to break even at best, right? Mm-hmm. But you have, it's just insane what's going on yeah. between well, this, the credit risk and the prepayment risk. Yeah. Well, th- but this is, but this is also why, going back to what you said earlier, is that, you know, there's all this cash, you know, sitting out there, right? $3.2 trillion sitting in money markets. And theoretically, banks should be loaning that out, right? But there, but if you actually take a look at the annual rate of change in bank loans, it's dropping really sharply because there's no incentive to loan it out. Why am I going to loan money out for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Why am I going to loan money to a business and take risk of default for 2%, 3%? It's, it's not worth it. Um, so they're not making loans. No. And the reason it does work in the mortgage market, the reason they are making loans is because they can securitize it via Ginnie Mae, Fannie Mae, yep. Freddie Mac. Sell it off. And sell it to someone else. 
they're not keeping it. <laughs> exactly. And and again, we repealed those rules. They were supposed to keep some skin in the game. You know, after the financial crisis, you know, we passed rules. They said, okay, you've got to keep skin in the game this time around. And now over the last three or four years, they've lobbied successfully to have that removed. So they don't even have to, to retain even 5% of these mortgages anymore. They're selling off the whole lot again. We're right back to where we were pre-2008. And we're probably going to wind up with the same problem. But hey, don't worry. The Fed passed their stress test. We won't have to bail them out anymore. Right. I'll take the under. <laughs> exactly. All right. That wraps up the show for today. Thank you so much. We'll be back tomorrow, of course. It is uh, Financial Fitness Friday with Richard Rosso. We'll be back on Monday as well. Be sure to get by the website. Our latest three minutes on markets and money will be coming out here in just a few minutes. Uh, also, our latest article. And our article tomorrow is on what's happening with yields and why it's an important economic indicator. And we'll have that out for you in the morning. So this is all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great, fr- uh, great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.